cold open question to start this just basketball episode. Brendan Clean, which part of your day would you be most comfortable turning over to a lottery akin to how picks are dished out for the WNBA or NBA? I don't know if it's part of my day, but I was thinking about this long and hard after you threw it my way, and I'm going to go with selecting a roommate. No, that's psychotic. That's psychotic. No, it's not psychotic because you always think you know you want to live with the person, and then if you're too close friends with them, that can be a problem. Uh Uh-huh. If you are not close enough, anything, no holds barred, anything can happen. A lottery could lead to a very nice friendship. A lottery could lead to somebody who you just mind your own business around. But the way we're already doing it leads to plenty of crazy, awful experiences. So let's chalk it up to chance. And I actually think chance would get it right more often than human beings do. So I'm going roommate selection. All right. I just want to live alone, if I'm being honest. Well, okay. Not everybody has the luxury of doing that. Plenty of people need roommates. And so therefore, when you need a roommate, I want it to be a lottery. That's fair. Mine is dinner. So I I thought about like an actual day-to-day task. And I thought, okay, it's either pick what chore I'm going to do today. But I also just, I I don't want to be in a situation where like I really need the lottery to land on like laundry. And then it just doesn't hit laundry. So I don't have like clean bed sheets or something, right? Yeah, I'm that's dinner. That's messy. That's, that's literally that's dinner. It. It's like bingo. Well done with dinner. It's like okay, most I'm you probably is going to get something that I'm fine eating. Certainly, option rather like well, you know, some of the higher risk options could be like oh, I don't really like fast food. I'm not eh. You know, you get some you don't love, but like it's it's relatively could have some things you aren't super amped about. But you kind of get into rooting for it, and I don't know. I just thought that'd be the most fun. You know, and I think of the three What's the Caitlin Clark of of meals? You know, I'm on a big salmon kick right now. So, like, give me a nice salmon bowl with some rice, some kimchi, some veg, maybe an egg on top if I'm feeling frisky, if I'm cooking for myself. Yeah, a lot of what you just said really gives Iowa... Very, Look, you know. very comparable. <laughs> okay, so so Iowa would be like a lot. I've having been to Iowa for work before. It's like I had a dinner that was quite nice of like a roast chicken and then like a lot of pickled vegetables and some potato salad. I think. Yeah, and that's corn. right. But I understand not having that be number one on your lottery board. I'm just saying it is funny that. the meal you got comparing that to the plains was a I'm little bit of like, a juxtaposition talking, yeah. there. I took it as like, what am I most excited about? What is the generation? No, you meal, answered you correctly. Know? Mine, Mine's probably like a really good burrito. Mm. That's my Caitlin mm. Clark. Also very Iowa. Very. Uh, Brennan, if I ever come to Phoenix, can you take me to a great burrito place? I could take you to 20. My guy. We're building a whole trip around that. All right, coming up today, WNBA Draft Lottery. NBA Cup Final, and what we thought of the inaugural in-season tournament. Let's dive in. Trying to 
Welcome into the Just Basketball Show, your twice weekly WNBA, NBA, all things hoops podcast and YouTube program. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean, part of the Just Sports family. Uh, the Just Baseball Boys, I'm sure, will be covering the Shohei Otani news. They got $700 million from the L.A. Dodgers. Pretty big deal over there. Um, a lot going on over there. Someone almost called. Bernard, I saw it to link this to basketball. Someone call him if he had picked Toronto doing the reverse Kawhi. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't go to Toronto. I'll just say that. Okay. We Would have been very weird. Uh, Could have been cool. I'm a, I would have got to see him play, which is the kind of thing I'm selfishly like motivated by. Yeah, well, he ended up you in the division of the two baseball teams that I root for, so you can understand <laughs> my reticence to celebrate the Otani move over there. It's fair. But I want to tell you first about a great partner of ours before we dive into the show. That's Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. Sign up today with our code Just Basketball and Thrive. We'll match your first deposit up to $250. So check them out. That's a great offer. We're making some content as well with some props over on our TikTok page that's just B-Ball fans and some other cool content as well um, if you want more from us. But let's start with the WNBA draft lottery, Brendan. Here's the order for the 2024 WNBA draft. The Indiana Fever for the second year in a row have the number one pick. The LA Sparks at two. The Mercury at three. The Storm at four. As compared to the odds, the Fever held chalk. The Sparks jumped to two. The Mercury slipped to three. And the Storm held at four. So, Brendan, you look at this WNBA lottery, which is the Caitlin Clark lottery more than anything else, even if there are a lot of other great players in this class. What's your instant reaction? It's very bipolar. I have the Mercury fandom in me, the Phoenix sports fan in me that is very disappointed to not have this generational talent in my backyard where I would get to cover her, celebrate her achievements, watch her career from very close. You know, I texted you, kind of feels like the Mercury got a the third pick in a two-player draft, not to, you know, discredit this is going to be a much better draft than most, so they'll get a good player. But that was disappointing. I mean, I you know I, I can't I can't lie to you. Big picture, I think this has to be about Caitlin Clark and where she goes, whether she comes out. I guess I should say, and what that means for the WNBA because this is a lottery. This is a day that could define an a, an era for the WNBA, and how she chooses to act based on this new information that she has, which is where she will be playing is going to define a lot about where this league heads. She is that type of star. What she wants to do. And we have some early quotes from her from earlier in the year about if she'd want to play or not in the W immediately go. She wasn't saying I'm immediately going to go. I'm definitely going to the W because she does have that fifth year due to the, due to the pandemic. She, the, the couple quotes are quote, I'm going to, to go based off my gut. At the end of the day, that's the biggest thing I think I should trust. I'm going to know when I need to know if I want to stay or if I want to go. She also said, quote, it's not something I let weigh in me. I'm focused on helping this team, the Iowa team, be the best team they can be. And when I know that decision, all of you will know. I think I'm the big, I yeah. think the biggest thing will be that I'm just going to trust my gut and go with that. So she wasn't committed. The biggest to saying, quote is, no matter what. 
The biggest quotes at the top of what you have in our notes, which is that she's treating this year like her last year. That's yeah. that's probably the most telling thing as far as anything I've seen her say is she is going to, to treat this as if it is the end. And then if if that's not the case, we'll find out. But to me, I just have to assume she's leaving. And they had some good conversation, I thought, on the lottery broadcast, Chris, about this, which it feels like there's this idea now that NIL is only available to college players because we talk about it so much with college players. When if you go on Forbes or a ton of these other websites, people like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, more than their NBA or golf salary was endorsements for as long as sports has been huge in this country. Caitlin Clark is going to make a significant amount of money doing commercials and brand deals and partnerships, whether she's at Iowa or Indiana or anywhere else. So I think that's a little bit overblown. I think that it's easy to make jokes about the fever. And I I actually do want to talk about them versus some of these other teams a little bit, but The league is better if a team like the Fever can build something sustainable and profitable around Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Alyssa Smith. Yeah, and Alyssa Smith, sure. Like, that, that, like they are in a, in a spot now, Brendan. Like, and we, I know you're going to say you're going to say, but like that roster in terms of talent, even if there are still, I think, the organization have to, has to prove itself, like the roster is trending towards being in a better shape in a better shape just because of the high end talent but i mean led by Lee Boston but they have other good players at this point where it's not just as bleak as it was like they didn't miss you know on, on a high pick like they've done in recent years or in several times in recent years like the roster is at least getting to a spot where you're like okay like we have more than just one promising employee here like Leah Boston on her own right was the well deserving rookie of the year is a great player another great college story player like they're in a good spot roster wise, I think, in some with some room to grow. But Aliyah Boston, Alyssa Smith, Kelsey Mitchell's been a pro for a bit now. Like you have something there at the very least, even if there's there's certainly room to add more and figure some of this out. And they need a playmaker. Like she is kind of exactly what this this roster needs. So it's easy to kind of turn to the jokes and, and everything else, but they have a new head coach. They brought back Lynn Dunn, who was the head coach for a long time there, won a championship, and is now kind of overseeing the basketball operation. <clears throat> but this this organization is cheap. Pacers, Fever, we know that. Like, they're the go-to team you make jokes about when you're talking about small market cheapness, right? They couldn't keep Paul George. They, the WNBA makes it easy to be decent. Because there's quite a bit of, you know, the, there's only so many teams. You're going to win the lottery. There's only four teams in the lottery. You know, talent is at the highest possible level with so few teams, everything else. And they've still been pretty bad for a long time. But if they can just build something real here, that's for the better interest of the WNBA. The question is, does Clark feel it's in her best interest? Does she feel like going there would actually limit her earnings in some of these other places? Does she feel like she's setting herself up developmentally to not be her best? I think all that is an open question and a fair question. So I'm rooting for the fever to figure this out. I'm rooting for Clark to to, to declare for the draft, 
for them to take her, for them to go to the playoffs next year and build a championship contender. But I think it's absolutely fair to doubt that that's possible given both the Pacers and Fever recent track record under their ownership, which is Herb Simon, who also just sold, which is another factor in all of that, like a 10% stake. So the structure and the stability of what's facing her in Indiana, I think it's absolutely reasonable for her to question it and, and want some answers. Yeah, I, I think the, the potential investment um, from Stephen Rails is who already owned part of the organization. I mean, him disagrees that maybe that just means they're going to spend more money and, and there's a positive here. I would say two things really excite me about this. Well, th- I'm going to say three things really excite me about this. Number one, Indianapolis is a big winner here. Caitlin Clark potentially and Tyrese Halliburton playing basketball in the same city rules. But that's just an amazing thing for that basketball. And very similar. Mm-hmm. Both really big, both really creative, both play it in, in their other own paces in distinct ways. Like that's an amazing thing for that basketball mad the basketball mad state, that basketball mad state. That in itself I think is very cool. Secondly, Leah Boston gets a playmaker to help her. And like I mean, Caleb Clark will be the best one on the team in short order. But like, this is like a really good nuclear foundation for that franchise. That's great. I think Caitlin. I mean, Caitlin Clark's ceiling is higher. I don't know if she'll be better right off the bat, but the ceiling I would I would say is higher. The yeah, fa- yeah, yeah. I mean, you just think about what the centers that Iowa has had for her, and Monica Zanano was a very college player, right? The yeah. the five year senior that they've had up until this season, she's now gone. I think she's going to be a dentist. Like that tells you everything you need to know, right? Five years at Iowa scoring on the low block dentist. You put that as a Leah Boston and it's like, damn, you're off to the races. So th- their fit is, is very cool and very fun. And I do think is the kind of foundation that could, you know, like I would probably pick them to go to the playoffs right away if Kalen Clark declares. Like they're there yeah. already. They were, they were, they were kind of teasing at that already. Thirdly, I think even if there are, I think the rest of the roster does need an overhaul and to be figured out. I do think just getting a real playmaker in there can get you towards a place where maybe you can figure out if some of these other players you have can be salvaged to some degree. And, and like just boosted by the fact that there's just a, a league creator to get them better looks. I mean, I think of someone like Lexi Hall, who has not had a good NBA, WNBA career at all. His, the numbers are horrendous, but was a productive four-year college player who, who shot it well in college and hasn't shot it well at the W at all. Like, can you manufacture something? Can you get more out of her just by the fact that you brought someone in and that like helped that at least get some more out of the value that you had among your roster just because you have someone in there to actually provide the playmaking structure that is so important like that can just be it's a tertiary benefit if it even happens but that's the kind of thing i think this kind of playmaker can provide from you i also do brennan like that like we kind of know now and i'm sure she'll decline to talk about it a lot and there's no reason for her to give an answer right away she has a long she has a lot of college basketball left to play this year she's a lot she wants to accomplish at iowa but I'm curious to just see, like, over time, like, what kind of stories we get about the recruitment of her to some degree to, to get her to come. Because I, I, not only the Pacers, the Indian ownership, but Kathy Engelbert. And what do what do the very many companies that work with her and will want to work with her want to say? Like, I'm sure, like, she's going to get a shoe deal. So is Nike like, hey, like, let's, we want to make you the face 
of our WNBA thing, our WNBA program. I know we have Sabrina in Asia, but you know, can we make you one of the, the lead people that will give you your own shoe from day one? Like, There's things here that are going to be really fascinating to follow on a whole bunch of fronts. And that's why I ultimately think she declares. You know, com- combining the fact that those endorsements will transfer, like you're saying, the amount of, of pressure. And, and that's where it comes in handy to have somebody like Aaliyah Boston. You know, that she seems like a, a person I would want to be a teammate with. Like, say anything else you want about her skill set. Like, I, let me go play with her. And she was like an all-star right away. Not to mention, you know, on top of being a very kind soul seemingly from everything that you see in a, in a like pretty competitive fiery person to, to to play against and with but I guess it brings me to another question that I had for you which is mm-hmm. I mean I'm thinking of it from the Phoenix standpoint because we know how Suns ownership how the Suns have operated under new ownership what are the uh, calls one- like between the Mercury and, and Matt Ishbia and Herb Simon and Lynn Dunn over in Indiana. How much is being offered to move up from three to one? Is it like best, a retirement home more. for Lynn Dunn in Phoenix? Is it <laughs> like a, 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 an island for Herb Simon to retire to when he decides to sell and he's already a pretty o- older guy? Just some place in the Bahamas for him to to camp out the rest of his life? Like, how high are we going here? Because I think it's all the first round picks and whatever you want from the roster. But then it's like, you know, can we get some real estate deals, some stock options? What's going on here? Yeah, mortgage rate that's like not subject to the the very high interest rates we're currently having right now. On like, I got all legal though, two. of course. Yeah, totally above board. Nothing, 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 nothing sketchy about about this. Hundred percent. I mean, I mean the pro the, the fever though should just hit, like hang up the phone. Like that's the really the answer. I mean, you already have Erica Wheeler, who has tweeted, who just tweeted 12 minutes ago. I don't know if you've seen this. Now I can at Clark, she writes. What's up? Exclamation point, question mark. At Caitlin Clark 22, what you trying to do? The word is out now. Eyeballs emoji. I love it. And I mean, yeah, the WNBA side of it that you mentioned is is the tricky one. But that's what I that's why I started the way that I did this the best case scenario for the league and for everybody involved is that whatever we thought the sparks or the storm (coughs) or the mercury could be with her, the fever just become that, right? Like all sports are better when all the teams are, are competitive and lucrative and popular and famous and everything else. But it'll be a fascinating I think you're right. Negotiation and and recruitment process from all sides. The good thing for Clark is she just has the bailout of, oh, you know, I I, I don't know if I'll even be the number one overall pick. Like, that's the easy way to answer those questions, because if you answer it, then you're just like assuming, oh, I'm better than everybody else. So, yeah, Yeah, I'll be I'll be number one and we'll see what happens from there. Like, you know, Angel Reese beat me in the title game last year. Paige has been great for a long time. You know, Cameron Brink is a star. Like, we have so many great options in this draft. I, I can't guarantee. Like, why would I presume that I'm going number one? You know, PR 101, baby. We just did it for her. Yeah. Uh, let's talk quickly about the other teams in this top four, Brendan. 
Uh, we'll get as the draft's a long ways away, so we can do more breakdowns as we get closer. You can look at mocks and things as it gets closer. But you go to the Sparks at two. Kurt Miller, very funnily, and his I saw some pregame, uh, pre-draft, pre-lottery quotes from him saying they wanted a high-character player at one, which is just like a very coach answer. This just kind of feels like a, a pretty cool place for Paige Beckers. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where my gut goes. If if everything goes according to plan, she stays healthy and UConn continues to be competitive, she's going to go number two, and they need that badly. You know, they have, since Chelsea Gray left, it's just been a, a turnstile at that position. You know, Jordan Canada is a free agent. She had a pretty nice season, finally was able to make some shots and be more of a threat on offense. I think she could play next to Beckers. I think, you know, we'll see how quickly Beckers pushes winning. But that's where she's going. I, I think the one and two is stamp it, send it in, sharpie it in there, have the commissioner read it off, and then we'll get to three. That's where this draft is headed. So that's where the Mercury go, and I, they're they're fascinating to me, Brennan. You can give us some insight into this, but it's you know this. I think what they do here could tell you something about what's going to go on with Brittany Griner's future in the W and, and in Phoenix in particular, because I I think there will be an argument to say okay, Angel Reese. Or, I mean, she's slipping a little bit now, and some of the stuff at LSU, I think, is, like, we'll see how that gets viewed, but then you also have Cameron Brink, and you have bigs at this spot that would be great picks, but if you have Brittany Griner, is that the right positional fit? I think this is a tricky spot for the Mercury when you when you take a first glance at it. Yeah, I think Reese just has to prove more with her game. Most people who do this for a living have her not even in the top five anymore. I don't think yeah, she would I be a, a, a real candidate for three. Uh, yeah, uh, M.A. Vopel at ESPN has her eight. So I think it's Ooh. Brinker Cardoso is where you're headed uh, at three. And yeah, from a grinder standpoint, I, my expectation has been that that Phoenix, you know, just from pretty obvious tea leaf reading. Griner's a free agent, yes, but DeRossi's under contract next season. I think you'll see a one-year deal for Griner. Those two will part ways. I would imagine Tarasi retires after next year, and Griner could do as she pleases from there. Maybe she comes back and finishes her career with Phoenix, but she'll have the opportunity to leave if she wants. Um, but you would be looking at Brink or Cardoso as replacements for her. And you only draft them if, if you think Griner is not going to be around for much longer because neither one of them really are shooters. Neither one of them really are offensive creators or, or anything like that. They are their fives. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a big fringe point. Maybe they try to trade that pick for a, a star player. You know, that would be a very mad a thing to do. But that's going to be the hinge point of the draft, I think, for sure. And then I, th- I kind of think Seattle just picks up whatever is left. Their roster does not have a lot of permanent pieces on it outside of Jewel Lloyd. So they're probably just going to be, let's take the best talent we can find and, and keep building this back up after Stewie and Bird left. Yeah. I wonder, you would have a good answer to this, but Ishpia as an owner could be the most aggressive in all of and that, that in itself is pretty interesting to me. Just as just what does he want to do and how fast does he want to turn this over? Does he want to be more veteran? Does he want a young star and take his time with this while he's doing this, the KD Booker Beal thing with the Suns? You know, I what he wants um, and considering he was the organization's representative at the lottery, you can I think he's at least somewhat invested in it. Like, Shout out, that. Jamie. He's very invested in the Mercury. Well, and I mean, um, considering how much money he spent on on the head coach and and all of that, like, yeah, you're you're correct. You know better than me, obviously. 
yeah, he's 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 going to want something. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a matter of like, uh, do we slow play it or try to win right away or whatever. I just think it, it's going to be, it's not just that they're at a, a inflection point. It's that Tarasi's just older. Like, it's not, oh, she's going to be a free agent. It's like, no, this era is over. Like, you need to pivot. So I think any out any avenue that's like hey we have a ray of light for the next five years he's going to be pleased with no matter kind of what shape or form it comes in but i do think they are the team to watch to potentially move up maybe even to just to two right to get beckers or to flip it for a, a superstar player but yeah they're the they're definitely the big loser to fall out of you know the the clear top two playmakers the generational players we've been talking about for years and then also have this looming Tarasi Griner thing hanging over them that they need to figure out going forward fascinating times in the W this is not the last we'll talk about Caitlin Clark this is not the last time we'll talk about this draft a lot more to come a whole college basketball season in fact to get finished up before we know much more and um I got a I'm, Iowa neck. I'm going to look at this real quick. Iowa women's basketball schedule. This is real time podcasting here, folks. They don't. They play. It looks like they don't play until next Saturday. So maybe she does some midweek media availability, but maybe we don't hear. We're, why not hear about what Caitlin Clark thinks about this for a couple of days? I don't know if we'll hear about this and what she thinks about it until after the Final Four, in any real way. Yeah, but I mean, like, until she gets asked about it and gives whatever, like, vanilla answer that she's going to give and have prepped. Yep. Yeah. Fun times. Hope Tyrese Halliburton gets involved in the recruiting. That'd be cool. Let's just get her on the Pacers, man. I mean, I, you know, can she do both? She plays at the right tempo to play with the Pacers, tell you that much. That's what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> Speaking of the Pacers, Brendan, let's get into the NBA Cup final. The Pacers... Did not ultimately come up and complete the run that I that they were aiming for. Rick Carlisle doing the classic thing before it says no one no one wanted us here, you know, classic coach stuff. No one wants, no one believes in us. But the Lakers are your inaugural NBA Cup champions, one twenty three to one oh nine. And then something I didn't see coming, I I don't think, and, and I don't think either of us in our prognostication really predicted, was that it wasn't LeBron James as the overall leading scorer driver of the win for LA. He had 24, 11 and four, 10 to 21. He had some amazing moments, but it was Anthony Davis, Brendan, 41 points, 16 to 24 from the field, 20 boards, five assists, four blocks for AD. An utter monster game from Austin Reeves. Also at 28 off the bench. It was 10 of 12 from the free throw line in this game. What a performance by D. What a good win for the Lakers who didn't hit a three until late in this in third quarter of this game when Torian Prince, I believe, hit one. Yeah. What stood out to you from this NBA Cup final? We have to start with Anthony Davis. It's funny because he's like probably the most talked about second star on any NBA team, but it almost feels like when he plays like this. I wasn't as surprised as some people because I think we've we've seen this before. We know this is what he's capable of, and it's like the constant chatter actually downgrades our impression of him so that by the time he comes around and plays out of his mind, plays hard as hell, impacts the game, start to finish on the defensive end, 
the game plan when you play against him as an interior defender is just one big sheet of paper that says Anthony Davis and he's doing this on the offensive end, we get surprised all over again. So I I was not, I promise you, I was not surprised because we, we know he can do this. But at the same time, it almost feels like he shot himself in the foot because now it's just going to be, why can't he play like he did in the NBA Cup? And I think it kind of all comes back to how much they cared about this thing. I think that they really wanted to win it, and he said that, but he also kind of laughed off, like, I know this isn't, we know this isn't the real thing, but we wanted it. We came ready and we we dominated, took care of business. It's just with him, that always comes with so much baggage. And I guess I'll I'll put it to you of like, do you do you think that if he could do this, that's enough in a postseason environment, four out of seven games four series in a row to make them a championship team because he's healthy now for 20 plus games into a season and we just watched him do it. Is that enough or do you still feel like the Lakers are the same team even after watching him do that? I mean, this this is still LeBron's team. It just is. This is still LeBron's team and this is still built around if he can keep up the level he's at to me. that That's not to besmirch AD but I think when you watch the overall factor of this Lakers season and consider where he's at and consider what he's doing, LeBron is still the driver of the team that is there. He It is still built around what he is great at more than it is built around what AD is great at, I would say. He is the one with the ball in his hands the most. He's the one making all the decisions for the most part. I think about I, I did a TikTok about this, but I think it's it's about AD giving empowering LeBron to be LeBron in a lot of ways because LeBron can then hang out a little bit on defense, which he's doing a lot. Although he did defend Zion, which I think was telling about Zion and, and what the Lakers thought of Zion a little bit, but that that's a conversation for another day. It's still LeBron's team, no question to me. But if AD can do this and do it enough in a series and enough over the course of the playoff run and is healthy and LeBron keeps his love up. This, I think this team's championship equity is higher than I would have expected. Yeah, it's certainly LeBron's team, but it's always been that and they fluctuated anyway. So I think the reason I ask it is the intensity that Anthony Davis played with, the ability that he had to create at least inside, even though the jumper was still not really an aspect of of how he dominated this one. Getting opponents into foul trouble, controlling the offensive glass, getting to the free throw line and slowing, that using that mentality to slow the Pacers' offense down, all these different things, that provides a, another... What's up? Uh, so a friend of mine, this is a back to Caitlin Clark, just sent me a video from the... Uh, Pacers draft party Mm -hmm. and uh, a fan was so excited that they won the lottery that she fell over like getting up out of her chair and she's okay this is like an older woman but she was so juiced that she like jumped up and was like yeah and then like fell over just thinking about Caitlin Clark in Indianapolis well just wait till she decides to not (laughs) leave Iowa and we'll see if she can stand up in the future um, so anyway, I think with Anthony Davis, the 
the reason that I asked it that way was not to do a first take segment of whose team is it, but it's like, does does this feel possible to you? Did what you saw Anthony Davis do last night feel replicable in a way that if, if he's to have a, a, a fully healthy season with a defense, I think that demands less of him now. I think that's a big ingredient. And an intensity, like I think functional strength, I've said this before on the show, is so underrated. And we saw that from him last night. When you combine all those ingredients, does that feel like it puts them closer to a championship than they were even last season when they were a surprise Western Conference Finals team? Because I think a trade might not happen. It might be this team, but he is obviously the hinge point. He 100% is. I I think more than anything else, they're three-pointers, Reeves whatever trades they can make, he he's more important than anything else they could do. And if he's this dominant and he's this aggressive and he is, I mean, frankly, just manhandling Miles Turner into foul trouble in this game and the backup centers and the other bigs they threw at him, notably Isaiah Jackson, had no answer for him. If he's this guy, there's not a lot of centers that you're going to feel super concerned about him going against. Like if they play the Kings in the playoff, for instance, like this is a guy that can like he's gonna outplay Sabonis if he plays like this. You get up to Jokic and stuff. That's obviously a whole different equation. But there's like a whole batch of guys that you were like, yeah, this AD, he's taking out those guys. He's down in there. He's giving the Lakers a huge edge in the interior. And the, it, this is one of those games, Brendan, where you know you saw still saw Jackson Hayes play some, some minutes, and he but he only played seven. Didn't see Christian Wood. Like you didn't, they didn't feel like a need to to do the too big thing, and it, they didn't need to because AD was kind of too big upon himself. He he was the he was the structure of their interior presence, and that's the ceiling for him, even if he doesn't always want to play it like that. Yeah, well, the, the the Pacers play small, and Miles Turner fouled out, and then they were going to Obi Toppin at center and stuff. So they've they've moved away from Christian Wood. I don't know if it made sense in this matchup, but Anthony Davis was was the defense. You know, I think Doc Rivers said he pitched a shutout in this game, and I I think that's the perfect way to put it. Four blocks. Turner was, even on the offensive end, three of 11. The Pacers had nothing going. And whether it was Davis on a switch, Davis in a drop, Davis against an isolation of a big man, he just snuffed every single thing out. And I think that probably brings us to Tyrese Halliburton and their game plan against him, where I believe in the first quarter and even into the second quarter, he had three shot attempts and two turnovers and one made field goal. Um, and I think like one or two, maybe three assists for the first huge chunk of this game, by which point the Lakers were already up close to double digits. And I thought that their trapping their rotations on the backside of that and the way that they game plan aggressively using their length to take away the first and second options, whether it's passing or shooting that star players want is a huge weapon. And I didn't think it would work this well against Tyrese Halliburton, but they quieted him down at least until the second half. And then by then they were up enough to win it. Yeah, he still had a 20-11 game, only three turnovers. It was like a I, I did a the DiCaprio meme, Brendan, in my living room when I see him when he did his first turnover because I was like, oh, he hasn't done that in a while. 
but he had kind of a sloppy turnover earlier in this game. He was also 2 of 8 from 3, 8 of 14 from the field overall. Got to the line three times, a little below his average, which is at 4.8 per game for the year. Let me ask you this as a follow-up to that, though. Is this... Is what the Lakers did a replicable template for how other teams can defend Halliburton and the, and the Pacers as a whole? Is this something other teams can now just put in their game plan and say, okay, this is this is how you have to do this? Is there now, to what degree, this is a, a reasonable term like Halliburton rules, so to speak? I don't think every team can do it, but I referenced on the preview show that we did ahead of this game that the Magic pretty much deployed a similar scheme and what they had that the Lakers also have is big guards big wing defenders which you pretty much have to have against Halliburton because of how tall he is and the way that his vision and passing ability if you're putting a short guy over him we, th- we say that with like Durant that he'll just shoot over that Halliburton will just pass over that And so that's the first ingredient. You then have to have guys who can switch onto him when he sets a screen with Buddy Heald or Miles Turner or Obi Toppin that can guard those guys originally and then switch onto Halliburton. And then you need to have enough size and and athleticism to get back in transition, clog the paint, be physical with guys like Halliburton and Heald and, and Turner who I think Heald's like reticence to shoot was a big surprise in this game that kind of trickled down from their defensive strategy where he just did not feel any space because of how on point the switching was that the Lakers were doing and how physically they were defending. He'll probably could have gotten a few more shots off than he did, but you could see him being in his head. So it's kind of all those ingredients where you have to have the right personnel against, I think, all of Halliburton's favorite partners and the size and the physicality and athleticism to kind of clog things up and take away the space that they're so good at creating. And then you can force him to be human, but there's not a lot of teams that can do that. You know, Orlando, the Lakers, maybe the Raptors. It's it's not exactly a long list of teams that have the personnel to check all those boxes. No, I mean, let's say they got like Cleveland in the playoffs or something. Cleveland can't do this. Hal Burton's just going to get to be himself. Unless, like, Evan Mobley's just switching him all the time, and then you're creating other problems. So, And the other thing know, with Hal Burton on this, in this game is he didn't make any threes. And so when that pull-up three is not a weapon that you're even allowing him to get comfortable with, let alone having to respect him getting hot from there, then that just takes one more dimension away from their whole team. Because you can just check, like, eliminate that from the list of things you're worrying about and focus on getting the ball out of his hands, stealing passes, taking away the other team, teammates, and everything else. So that was big, too. Two of eight from three. Like, his stats do show that he had a decent game, but I think that's one that is uncharacteristic was those threes. I mean, the Lakers, I think, as a whole, put up a really great defensive performance. You look at the Pacers' offensive rating was at 101.9, despite them having a really low turnover rate. That speaks to a Lakers team that was locked in defensively, that was cued into everything it had to do, that was disciplined, that understood the assignment and played up to its potential and used its strengths really well to its advantage throughout this game. I I think that just speaks well to how the defensive ceiling of the Lakers, spearheaded by AD, but... The whole team. I mean, that's I think one of the beauties of this roster is most guys that they're playing night tonight, Brendan, are capable defenders. Even if they're not 
they're not maybe going to have more than like one all defense guy, but they have a lot of guys that know what to do, know what to be, know how to compete, know how to use their size in smart ways. And they're really well coached by Darvin Ham, who I think has grown really well into what he's doing in LA in a lot of ways after kind of his early struggles last year. So I ask you, I ask you this, we talked about the Lakers and where they go a little bit. How do the Pacers build off this? That That's kind of my last question coming out of this. What, what can Indiana do to take the success they've had to this point in the year in this in-season tournament? How do they build off of this and, and maximize what this year seems to be for them? I mean, this is year one, right? Like, I don't, I don't see this as a failure just because they lost here. I mean, I think the Pacers showed much more than they, you know, got, you know, read for filth or revealed or broken or anything like that. I, you know, I think they are a real team. And I think what they did, even in this game, frankly, defensively, is has to make Rick Carlisle, that coaching staff, the players in that locker room, incredibly optimistic. Like Miles Turner walked himself to the locker room after he got, after he fouled out. And I honestly loved that. Like, I think him caring that much as the defensive anchor of the team and knowing how valuable he was and how important it was, like those are moments and, and memories and Miles Turner's played in the playoffs before, but like that's the stuff that, that that's going to matter from this run, not that LeBron and AD beat them by 14 in the final. And so I, I think you build off this by doing exactly what got them here and, and maybe they lean a little more into their defensive lineups and guys like McConnell and Neesmith more than they did two weeks ago. But other than that, I think you have to just feel awesome about where you are and worry about getting a top six seed and going to the playoffs because that's where they're headed. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they handle just some of the, the trade parts of their roster. Like, I don't think they can really afford to trade Buddy Heald. But like, what do they do with McConnell, who stepped in really nicely for them, was great during the latter parts of this tournament? Nemhard's hurt now, obviously, with the hyperextension. Um, so you're probably going to get some more McConnell minutes as a result. I'm curious just to see what they do with him. Cause you could see, I think them getting real stuff for him, but if you're kind of all in on this year, to some degree, do you want to trade that kind of veteran guy within your organization? I, I think there's an argument to, to not do that, obviously. So I think some interesting questions there, but the, the future, right? The future is so, so bright for them. What would you do with McConnell? I think if I got a, like a good first I would and I would be tempted to trade him if I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't think they're getting a good first. So I because keep... the because look, I mean, like, yeah, exactly the reason that they haven't been playing him is why other teams might not want him, right? Like, it's not just a them thing. So, and he's on an expiring contract. So I think that's why that you haven't seen them move him yet. It's just what are we really going to get? He provides a very clear value for us. If we lose him in the off season, so be it. We have Nemhard anyway. I kind of think he's sticking around, and I I don't think they should trade him personally. I think that nothing else on their roster really replaces that. I think Nemhard feels more like a good team defender and a high IQ guy than somebody who is going to be some kind of game breaker, possession stopper at the point of attack. So I like it. I, I think honestly though, Chris, with the, aside from the trades and everything, looking forward, you, we, you and I were texting about this guy during the game. I think of Ben Matherin a lot as far as, yeah the growth points for a, a, a game in a moment like this. Halliburton's going to, of course, pocket and and mentally take note of a lot of what he saw defensively against every team, but especially this Lakers team, and get better uh, because of it. But Ben Matherin, to me, 
the first to second half for him, even in this game, was was night and day. And I think them benching him, we talked about it from a healed standpoint. Everybody, you know, wow, they, they were going to trade him. Now he's in the starting lineup. Halliburton and Hield have awesome chemistry. They've played together di- Halliburton's entire career dating back to Sacramento. But Matherin having to adjust, take some lumps, take some games where he doesn't play a lot and sucks and figure out what his role is going to be in the NBA, at least on this team for right now, is going to be invaluable. He had a, a nice couple of defensive moments at times, nine free throw attempts, and steadied out and was able to be on the court in some of those moments with foul trouble in that second half. And I think like he's somebody who, if you interview him in two years when they're in a second round series, this is going to be the kind of moment where Ben Matherin goes, yeah, well... We went to Vegas for that NBA Cup thing and everybody was in foul trouble and I had to like figure my shit out. And now I know this, this, and this, you know, I think he's definitely the top of that list. Yeah, and he's someone that if you're looking at where this team is going, Brendan, he he's one of their probably last, he is kind of their last real shot at a high-ish pick that can turn into something. Like if this team ends up with the top six pick seed in the East this year, they're going to pick later in the first round. You know, you can find good players, but you're not getting a top 10 pick going forward. Like, you're just not. You're in a position now where Matherin, who was, you know, not a super survivor, he was six overall, so just outside the top five. You're not going to pick nearly that high again. In the no, future. but we'll see what Jairus Walker turns into, who didn't play in this game and hasn't really played this season. It seems like the rawness wasn't really their appetite for for year one, but Rick, you're telling me Rick Carlisle I have optimistic is in super yeah in super into the raw. No, and they're winning, so I get it. But I'm optimistic about him, and he fills an exact need. Like you know, you talk about who's going to guard LeBron. We were joking about Obi Toppin getting into foul trouble and all that stuff, which he did. Jarris Walker fills that hole. He's he's the LeBron Giannis, whatever you want to fill in that gap. Uh, stopper so to speak that they have in waiting and so there's one more but yeah these guys need to figure out how do i play off tyrese halliburton how do i play winning basketball and how do i impact the game even if i'm not what i was in college or what i was in high school and it's weird to have to do that so quickly but halliburton has put them there and that's what the rest of the season is going to be about i think 100 percent. i would like to maybe as the season goes on i'd like to I'm gonna see if he's played in the in the G League at all. But I Walker like getting some like mad ants minutes might not be the worst thing in the world for him, you know? Yeah. I mean why not like what's the harm for him, I guess, if he's not gonna play, maybe just get him some minutes. He's played three games. I think you just wanted to say Mad Ants. I think you just wanted to drop the 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 G League team name there. I think you just liked it and you wanted to put it in the show and it came to mind. Look, they did play the the Cleveland Charge on Saturday and the Charge were like elf outfits like movie elf inspired jerseys they just went all in on the holiday season here's here's Jerris walker's g-league stats real quick and then we're gonna move on to thinking about the in-season tournament as a whole he's played in three games 32 minutes a game 26.3 points shooting 16 times a game shooting 59.2 percent from the field shooting 2.33 sorry excuse me shooting six threes a game shooting 38.9 percent from three 70 percent from the free throw line 3.7 assists 5.3 boards 1.3 steals two turnovers a game so he's they have to give him a look in the second half he has to play yeah what's the harm no i'm saying in the nba oh i know i I agree yeah i agree yeah 
Yeah, they gotta just try it because he he is just so clearly an answer to the things that we watch this team and wish they had. They do. It's just a 19-year-old who they might get nothing from, who might just foul his ass off for 10 minutes a game and not be a playoff contributor, but it's not like you're benching somebody else who does the same stuff to give him a try. You're bringing him in to see if he can provide turnover creation, physical defense, small ball options lineup-wise, just energy and athleticism that not a lot of their players really have. So please, let's see it because he looked decent in summer league. Those G League numbers sound good. I'm ready. Last thing uh, for LeBron this weekend. I know he was really excited about this. Adam Silver got a good joke and that really made him, I think, genuinely laugh about uh, I can't. I, the man who has everything, who I, has won everything, I can't give you a, 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 a franchise, but I can give you this MVP award for the NBA Cup. Big weekend for him in that regard. Also, really cool that Bronny James is back. And I know I hearing Darvin Ham talk about the the Bronny part of it, um, and some of the reporting around. I think what Bronny has been through with his cardiac arrest, fueling LeBron in some way this year, I think is really fascinating. Um, and then Bronny James doing a very LeBron esque chase down block in his first game for USC. Kind of cool to see. Just kind of a cool, a big weekend for the James family, I think, on a lot of fronts. So that's a little footnote to that yeah i get to see Bronny uh january 20th he'll be in phoenix looking forward to it uh looking forward to your i feel like we got to talk about that on the show if we do any like random like live live in person basketball the ones that i'm gonna do in january or not or i've won in december that um gotta tell you probably not gonna be something worth time here on the just basketball show from like a prospect standpoint but i'm gonna go to a whole day of college hoops in cleveland that's gonna be cool what teams are in it? Ohio, the Ohio University versus Davidson. Nice. Akron versus St. Bonaventure. And the main event is Ohio State versus West Virginia. For Enjoy that. Bucks. Yeah. Don't don't expect to uh, cover that here on our program, <laughs> but have fun. I'll just be, be like, the Ohio Bobcats are really disappointing me, and I'm, I'll be sad about it. But... Real quick, got to tell you about our friends at Homage. Homage is an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with MBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. I, today, this very day, made a purchase from Homage because the world's greatest soccer club, not really, but I'm just going to say because it's a bit, the Columbus Crew are MLS Cup champs. I bought the Homage shirt. It's much better than the Fanatics branded one from the league. It's a great yellow shirt honoring the, the team's three titles. Easy cop for me. Very excited to get it. Uh, our friend of the program, Bill Filippo, got it for me in person because they're selling them in person with a delayed shipping launch. So I got it from the physical homage store in Columbus. And next time I see Bill, I'm getting that damn shirt. And Brendan, they sent us some stuff and they're all super soft, super great. Very comfortable. All right. NBA in-season tournament post-mortem. Let's rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. How do you feel about it now that it's done? I'll give it an 11. I, I think, you know, we have some ideas. I'm sure both of us do, and everybody in damn entire sports media seems to have a million uh, opinions about what it needs to be. As they simultaneously say it sucks and they don't care about it, but here's a million things I would do to fix it. You know, that's one of the fun things we've gotten to hear for the past couple months. But entertainment-wise... Competitiveness-wise, 
hoopla, everything that I think you would have wanted this to achieve for the league, it did. It does not surprise me. I was talking to Shane Young, who writes at Forbes. I'm sure people have followed him on Twitter. He recently moved to Phoenix. We were talking about it the other night at the game that the Suns played against the Kings. And I said the same thing I've said on this show, and I believe it even more now. Covering, I mean, I cover sports media for my day job. We all know how this stuff works. If you tell ESPN or Turner or even websites or podcasts, this matters. Voila. What do you know? That makes it matter. You know what I mean? You have ESPN and TNT doing crossover content and everybody's in Vegas and doing live shows and recap episodes and preview episodes because it is a thing from a major sports league that they told us mattered. The players followed suit and thus it was spoken. Like this is not rocket science. And I think anyone with a brain could have understood that that was going to be how it mapped out. The best teams, most fun teams made it an entertaining tournament and we got a great final like this, this was a complete victory by the by the NBA, and I think if anything, it just gets bigger from here. I agree. I I'm at like an I'm at a nine. I have a couple small little things that I think you can easily fix. Number one, I just think you got to not do the dumb courts because they were clearly slipping a lot of the time, and just from like a player safety standpoint, like you don't need them. But let's just go back to like highly. Remember the old NBA Finals logos, Brendan, where it was just like very clearly a good NBA Finals logo, and you just adjust it every year with the year. Just make one of those for the NBA Cup. Number two, let's just call it the NBA Cup. That's well, just hold a on, better hold on. Season tournament. I love the NBA Cup idea. Let me respond to the court one. The danger, the danger of it all is. Yeah, can't have that. It seems like they were rushed. And Adam Silver, when he wasn't talking about Henry Kissinger on Pat McAfee this past week, went ahead and revealed. What a, what a, just what a sentence, by the way. They, they, like, it yeah. really happened, you know? What a time. It did really happen. Uh, he, did, he admitted that they were rushed. And he said, of course, because he's a commissioner, but whatever. Uh, I don't love this idea. But he's like, why can't the courts be... Sponsored by the same company as the Jersey Patches or have, which is a complete downvote for me, but like he also said community art competition or get very, very individualistic with it. I like that. I do think even though people might have largely disliked the courts, it worked because it helped you identify the meaningfulness and the, the differentiation of the games. And so That's if you true. put a little logo in the corner, like you have, you'd have to be really closely watching these games to know what's up. Whereas with the coloration and everything, you even just see a highlight on Instagram and you're like, oh, that was one of those games. That was one of those other ones. You know what I mean? The average fan, I think it worked. So maybe not the bright reds and the bright ugly colors. I don't really, did you like the, the Vegas one, the red and blue? No, I thought it looked awful. Yeah. So, like, fix some of the bad ones, but I do think something unique. And if Silver seemed to like it, which he seemed to, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think that's going to be yeah. here to stay. But, yeah, don't don't have them be slippery. Paint the freaking three-point lines correctly, 
at Denver Nuggets Ball Arena staff, please. Like, get that three-point line where it needs to be because you're trying to shave points or something. We see you. We know what you're up to over there. But, okay, call it the NBA Cup. What else? I think I think eight group. This gets into tweaks we like to see, but I would just like to see eight group games. I don't know exactly how you do it, but I think home and home group games, I think – Finding a way to do that, which is something that uh, the Cavs, you know, my market and talking to JB Bickerstaff about it has kind of said that we would really like that. I think if you could find a way to do it and not super sacrifice player safety to some degree, not overburden them for the sake of this. I just like the idea of making this like a real home and home group thing. It's a little more. I get like why you wouldn't want to, but I, I just if you're going to do this, I guess I'd like a little bit more of it. Agreed. What about this from Bill Simmons? He said five groups of six teams, five games where you just play all the other teams once, but there's more group, there's more teams in each group, so therefore more group games. And then three wildcard teams from some tie-breaking whatever to get you to eight total, so that makes the knockout rounds one round longer. Does that, that feels doable. I also don't yeah. don't mind same size groups play everybody twice. But then it's like I you're th- playing all those teams so much in the first half of the season then the second half becomes probably very crazy travel cuz you're playing all yes. the other teams a lot and that gets messy. I would go with the Simmons model because I think it's probably all it's more manageable from the travel perspective and just the workload management. I think that's like a more that's a more reasonable way to scale it up than it is to, hey, you're gonna play. We're gonna have to squeeze an eight, especially because you have to squeeze like divisional wise. I don't know if this is the case for everyone, but like Cleveland had Indiana and Detroit in their group, so it's like you're just not gonna play. You're gonna play like this team in your division that usually play towards the end of the year, and is in your conference for not a while. Like that seems like kind of yeah. nuts regionally. So it's like. I think the I think the I would you so is it five groups of six teams so no conferences for this that would have to be what you do he didn't say that but he might not have realized it but you would have to you'd have to eliminate the conferences because otherwise what do you you, either five doesn't split up obviously I mean you could make that work because like Memphis and Minnesota or New Orleans could just like be with East teams and like for travel purposes is that super fair to them or inverse? Yeah, that's not, Maybe not. that's not doable. You can't call it conferences anymore and then have one that's just split down the middle because then where do yeah. they go if they get to the knockout rounds and stuff? So you'd have to go conference-less. I kind of liked the East versus West aspect of it. I did too. Personally. I did too. Yeah, I did too. So that brings me to one change I would have. Okay, hit me. Don't do it in Vegas every year because yes, we already saw easy. what happened, which is that the Lakers had a home court advantage. And there's a reason the Super Bowl is not in the same place. <clears throat> there's a reason that the MLB does, or sorry, the NFL does the Pro Bowl stuff forever was in Hawaii. I know that's not a real game that counts, but don't give anybody the advantage. We talked about this going into it from the standpoint of Vegas is going to have an NBA team at some point, and then it'll be even more preposterous in that case. Because then it'll be two teams between the Lakers and... And I would even say from the Suns' standpoint. I mean, I would have loved it if the Suns were there. I would have loved it if it was a home court advantage for them. But that's not fair. 
if this is going to matter and you want to build competitiveness and, and like make it into something that people are chasing, you can't then say, we're going to build in this huge advantage for like three out of 30 teams or three out of 32 teams. Eventually that's crazy. So I don't, where do you think it could be? Do you think it should just be home team all the way through higher seed gets to host the game? And that's that. Do you think it should move around like the final four? Do you think it should be in a, crazy geographic location like hawaii or mexico city just to really go you know spicy with it what would your fix there be i would do the final i would do like a version of the final four but then loop in some more exotic locales and i think from a business perspective that's where the nba might go for thinking about this pragmatically the nba wants to the part of the reason i think vegas is the place is because it's a place in theoretically in theory they could get people to travel to and spend money at and buy tickets for like, I love Cleveland, Ohio. I'm going to live here my entire life, Brendan. I guarantee there are people that are not super thrilled to come here for the Women's Final Four this spring. The same people it, who were not thrilled to go there for the finals four straight years. Yeah, probably probably some similar cats in that group. But I mean, like, I, say, I don't think anybody would be insulted if you had it where it rotates, but it's in primarily bigger markets the super bowl is like this not every freaking city in the world gets a super bowl every four years but i live in phoenix the super bowl feels like it's been here 43 times since i was born literally we've had like five so and we all are just okay with that and then it also means that if you know it's going to be in your city or in a city nearby maybe it matters to you a little bit more that year you know what i mean maybe you have a guy with nursing an ankle sprain, but hey, the thing's like two hours from us and we could really make this into something. Let's play the dude with the ankle sprain for this knockout round game. You know, like it, it would add some of that to it too. Whereas if it's Vegas, it's just by like the fifth time the Lakers are in these knockout rounds, we're all just going to be sick of it. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Mexico City, I think Hawaii, I think a non-Toronto Canadian city is another one, you know, Vancouver, Montreal, like you could do something like that. Um, Put it in some cities you might want to expand to eventually. Exactly where it's going to go. Like, you know, if like you do this next round of expansion and let's say we, we kind of, susp- I mean, honestly, before the, we get a team back in Seattle, put it in Seattle next year. Why not? Sure. It's not like people won't travel to it or the corporate partners won't come if it's in not Vegas. Like this idea that Vegas is some sort of like, wonderland of of money beyond and the, be above any other american city it's just like chill it's vegas like for, we get what vegas the, is but like how about new york city I'll, there's one like what are we doing it's not like <laughs> come on yeah for the for the launch though i get it just because like it made the branding with michael Pierce. it made the branding of it i think really easy for year one and like the selling of it and i'm sure everyone saw like the ads for different packages and hotel stuff that they were doing it's just like i think it made the launch of it easier you know what i mean like I think and in from, like, december there's some cities that can't have it yeah right? they're gonna put it in somewhere warm you know like and i get i i, I understand that you're gonna sell if this this is a commercial product you're not going to put it even if it's a great city with colder weather like seattle would be maybe a tough sell because yeah it's pacific northwest winter like that could not be fun for people. sure so maybe it rotates you know in the grand scheme of things primarily in five or six cities occasionally 
something special comes up where they put it in a colder weather place for one reason or another, like they do with the all-star game. People live with it for a year and we keep it moving, but maybe it's mostly Vegas, LA, Phoenix, Texas, Florida, and that's in that, New York, you know, and, but that's and, fine. And, New York, and, and then New York's the cold city. Sure. But yeah, Vegas every year feels, feels flawed. Any other fixes or changes or things you could make it better with? Like fixes makes it sound like it, it's broken, but. Chaos option that I don't know what it would look like. And I think ultimately these teams might just get gobsmacks. But if you're going to expand the wild cards anyway. What if you just got, like, whoever's first place in the G League by the time the knockout round starts, like, the best team in the G League gets entrance? Well, that's where this could be headed, right? I mean, long-term, can international teams get involved? Can the G League get involved? If you're making this a Champions League, you know, which Mr. Diplomat might like um, long-term, then that's where this could go. But that's that feels a long way away. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on this, Brendan? Do you have any? I, I mean, I feel like Hal Burton's the obvious one. I think he still is like the big winner of this to me. But any big winners, any big final takeaways before we wrap this up? Anthony Davis. Yeah. I mean, if he if he plays with that level of intensity, and no one could possibly expect that every night. Nobody plays as hard as he played last night every night in the whole NBA. Like, even Giannis Antetokounmpo does not do that. But if... If AD, if AD feels as good as it looked like he feels, I do take the Lakers more seriously. Because it's easy to forget because they turn their season around, but in like mid-January, Davis had a foot injury last year. We didn't know what his status was going to be the rest of the season. LeBron was out, and it looked like a lost year again. They got some trades and, and flipped it around, and, da- and Davis played well in the playoffs, especially on the defensive end. But if he's able to level up beyond that, they were already in the conference finals. Like I absolutely think what we saw from him proved something and makes me feel better about their their team. I also just think the defense is at another level than it was last year. So he's a big part of that. But um, yeah, he, he'd be my other winner. He's, I think, the only other one. I think my big loser would just be the Pelicans. Because they yeah. they got they got they they're being talked about and reported on right now like they suffered like a bad first round playoff exit and like that's the vibe. So the Pelicans would be my I guess the other end of that spectrum. Zion what does that say about the Kings then? Who they beat? Yeah, I don't think they, they. I I just think the way the Kings lost is different than the way the Pelicans lost. And then all the quotes from the Pelicans and then that Larry Nance Jr. tweet. It's just like. Red flag, red flag, red flag. It's just like sirens going off in my brain. Uh, that, in a way, it didn't for those other teams. But that's just like optics. That's not even necessarily grounded in full-fledged fairness or reality. It's just like sometimes the way you lose matters as much as like that you lost. And I don't think the Kings just got like punked on the way out no, and no, no. embarrassed themselves. I think Quentin Grimes would disagree with you that nobody else had it worse than the Pelicans. I think Quentin Grimes was pretty... <laughs> pretty bummed about how things played out on tuesday night but yeah he had a bounce back game frequent crimes all right we're gonna end there i'm chris manning that's burning clean back at you later this week with more of the just basketball show twice weekly nba WNBA podcast all things hoops here on the just basketball show thanks for tuning in please subscribe and rate and review five stars only if you've not already enjoy the hoops everyone we'll talk to you shortly 
Yes. 